Townsville Little Theatre presents Ambiguous Loss by Michael Butt, directed by Donna Clayton-Smith. Act Three, Home. It was a normal Saturday. Went to work in the morning, got in, go to make a cup of tea and see a note on the table saying, gone for a walk. I knew what I'd done and I knew why I'd done it. At the same time, I knew it was wrong. I don't think people understand how disturbing it is when someone you think, thought you loved, leaves you and you don't know where they've gone or why they went. Hi, you've reached Missing People. How can we help? My name's Aidan Stevens. I, I saw a poster of me. Okay, a missing poster? Yeah. And how long ago did you go missing? Oh, uh, a year and a half, 18 months. We thought he was dead. I thought he was dead. Can you tell her I'd like to talk to her? It's much easier if someone has died or someone's just left you for someone else or it's no man's land, really. We agreed to talk again the next day. That's when I had to make a decision. She just said, I'm ready. I'm ready for you to come back now. I don't know whether I made the right one or not. I don't know. It seemed easy. We agreed it was going to be the coming Saturday. I did agree for him to come home. As the week passed, this shadow was getting darker over me and it... I, um... Part of me just didn't want to go. I couldn't believe that the day had arrived. It was a really rainy day and great excitement from Carmella in the house. <laughs> she was trying to dress me up and tell me what to wear, telling me to put makeup on. I just kept going over and over in my head what I was going to say to him. What I was going to say to him when he walked through the door. I had to remind her that it's not a first date. I baked him a cake in the morning. Jean said, don't go over the top. And I said to him, it's a special day. I keep thinking about what Carmela said, you know, about how he obviously had a problem with his memory or, or some kind of illness. When she said he's been through a lot, I thought, I thought, well, so have we. And the main question that kept coming up was, why did he go? He had abandoned us. But you can't ask somebody that, you know, when you haven't seen them. You have to see them first before you can ask a question like that. That's a huge question. I didn't know if Mum really knew what she was doing or, or, or if that was really the option. It felt like a bit of a jerky way to, to restart a relationship after all this time. To suddenly move back in? This, this stranger. She wanted me to come back on the train and she'd meet me at the station. Hartford North Station. And we decided in the afternoon. So we thought, right, three o'clock. Stood on the platform, made myself get on the train. And this fear was just growing all the time. I thought I, I, I had to change. I could get off. I could go somewhere else. And I'm sitting in the car for a bit because it's raining. I don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. I could see people getting off the trains and then I see him. He's lost a lot of weight. Looked very, 
very thin, frail. Sally, <laughs> she looked beautiful. He looks at me, then looks down. It's my wife! <laughs> and he was wearing a suit, a blue suit, something you might find in a charity shop or something. And he had two plastic bags. And that was what was coming towards me. That man that I'd been married to for over 17 years. And I walked towards her saying, don't touch her, don't touch her. She doesn't want you to touch her. You're this dirty, filthy little man. So I put my arms around him. And she just grabbed me and held me really tight. And he felt cold. Then she said, look, let's get you home, hey? I went into the flappy mother mode, you know. Come on, let's get you in the car. It's raining. I got in the car and I didn't know what, what to say to her. You're sitting next to your husband, who is a complete stranger. I'd forgotten how close the station was to the house. It, it only took a couple of minutes and bang, we were there. We turned into the road and it was like someone had taken a photograph of it two years before. I mean, everything was exactly the same. The hedges and the cars. We pulled up outside the house. And I ran to the window and I saw him through the window of the car. And I knew the children were inside and I was really worried about seeing them. So I let him in and Carmela runs to him. I rushed into his arms. Hugs him and they do have a lovely moment. That moment that he stepped through the door. It was a, like that bit in the railway children for her. You know, she just sees her daddy. It was like something in me just released. And then she was crying. I was crying. Tears were streaming down my face. And Jean. And there was Jean. Kind of saunters down the stairs, trying to be cool. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that I wasn't nervous. He didn't hug me. I didn't know if I'd forgive him. Hard for him. Hard for him, you know. And then... And then he put his hand out and we, and we shook hands. We shook hands and just looked at each other. We went into the kitchen. Carmela had made a cake. It was most bizarre. My favourite cake. You know, what do you put on a cake? Would you put candles? Would you put... And she gave me some. I just... I, I ate some. I, I really didn't want it. I couldn't, but... Mum asked me to open up a bottle of kava. Jean opened a bottle of sparkling wine. And we had a toast. Which I drank really quickly. To celebrate our dad coming home. I didn't want that either. I didn't want drink. Dad had a little sip and put it down. I noticed that Aidan doesn't touch his. I didn't want to upset them and, you know, so, so I just had a sip. I just wonder, where's he been? What's he been doing? What I really didn't understand was, we were having this kind of party for him. He got this present for me out of one of his plastic bags. He says, this is for you. Happy birthday. And it was a toy dog? I got her a toy dog. And she takes it. 
the kind of thing she likes. And is absolutely loving it. It was something you'd give a six-year-old. Happy birthday. She really liked it. And I think that was the first moment that I kind of thought, oh, my poor dad. So the first few days after Aidan had come back home, it was like having someone who'd just come out of hospital, really. It was like having a patient. There was just something his eyes had changed. Something had gone from them. I just let him rest. He spent a lot of time in what was our bedroom. I was really tired. I... He slept a lot. I, I don't remember being so tired. He'd come down just for something to eat. So I'd leave it on a tray and he'd take it up to his room. And I could hear their voices downstairs, quietly but talking. He's definitely ill and I need to look after him. I wondered if they were hating me. It wasn't quite how I had imagined. We had no idea how to behave with him anymore. Very weird. Very weird few days. If ever I spoke to Dad about Nanny Helen, he'd go quiet. Whenever I'd say, why did you go? Or what was the problem? Or why don't you talk to your mum? He'd just shut up. A few days later, a week later, I, I don't know, Sally came up and she said, you know, maybe you should come down. Come and watch a bit of telly with us, you know? And so he does. He comes down. And we were all watching Pointless. They were all sitting in the living room watching a quiz show. People shout out. We'd shout out the answers. And we'd do it as a bit of a joke, you know. We'd get involved in something, <laughs> general knowledge or whatever. You'd shout out. The kids were laughing. The, the people on the show were laughing. And, 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 and he's watching this game show and... It, it was hot. It, it felt like the heating was on too high. The question's something really stupid, like, I don't know, really stupid. I felt very claustrophobic and I couldn't understand this show. And so I tried to explain it to him and he still didn't understand it. I tried, but I couldn't understand what she was saying. And then I turned around and he's... Everything was going too quickly. And he just says, I don't understand. There's just the tears streaming down his face. And I felt pinned in and tight. You could tell that he was scared. I just started crying out of nowhere, really. So I just usher him back upstairs. Led him back up to his bedroom. All I could think of then was what happened to his dad and all this stuff that I know now that I want to talk to him about, that I want to find out about. But he's just not talking. He's in his own world. How are we going to move forward if nobody addresses any of the questions that we have, you know? I wanted to talk to Aidan about this now. I mean, Jean notices. Jean knows there's something wrong or something not right. It was very easy to feel like Dad was some kind of victim. I'm watching him and trying to work out why he left and what's going on in his head. Do you know what? You made that choice to leave that day. Nobody asked you. You had options, actually, didn't you? Have you any idea? Have you any idea what we've been through? What you've put us through? Have you any idea how I've had to carry on? Two days ago, even though I'd warned her not to push it, 
Sally starts going on about my mum. I mean, they've always had a slightly odd relationship. Mum did something that she should not have done. So, we're in the kitchen. I'm trying to initiate the conversation again. Trying to talk to him. Nothing. Nothing. I rung your mum, I say. She just said, wouldn't it be a good idea to, to see your mum and... Carmela's been around to see your mum lots, you know. I've invited her around for Christmas. It was like someone was pressing into my head. It just... Suddenly I knew I couldn't talk to her anymore. I couldn't be in the house. I couldn't be around any of it. I couldn't be around my mother. And he completely goes into one. He smashes a dish of my mum's. A casserole dish. One of those orange and brown squares around the edge. Stupid casserole dish. But she had it for years and he smashes it. And he's smashing it around like a child. And I'm just thinking, that's enough. That's enough now. She said that Dad started throwing things. You need help. And he started swearing. You need to sort yourself out. You're not well. And I said, well, of course he's not well. And so I walked out of the house. And he went. He's gone. Has he gone for another walk for a year and a half or whatever? And I was going to get on a bus and... I was going to go. I've just had enough now. And that'd be that. It's really cruel what he's doing. And we didn't know where he'd gone. And then Jean comes home. And then he goes mad. I shouted. And I don't blame him. Why can't you see what this man is doing to you? This guy's completely taking the piss out of you. Out of us. I just don't want to talk anymore. Just exhausted. Does not care. God. Exhausted. This guy just does not care. And you need to just get him out. He's poisonous. And I thought, he's never coming back. Everything broke. Carmela and Jean are still in bed in the morning, and I'm downstairs in the kitchen, making yet another cup of tea. And then the door goes, and it's him. I ended up at Mark's house. He's my ex-business partner. We drank a lot. And at one point, my phone went, and I could see it was Sally, and I thought, no. I was so cross. I woke up the next day, and... I'd gotten a message off my phone and she said, if you don't come back now, then don't ever come back. I, I went straight home. And I can't even speak to him. I'm just so, so angry with him. Oh, she, she went absolutely mental. I mean... And he just crumples up. She was really, really angry. Sobbing, crying. Please, can I come in? I'm just standing there wondering whether to let him in or not. The kids were upstairs. I woke up in the morning to shouting. I've never heard Mum scream at anybody like that, you know? I could hear Dad's voice. And he was just begging her to let him stay. He keeps saying he loves me. And I'm saying, well, it's not good enough. Because that's not loving someone. What you're doing isn't loving someone. And we can't do this anymore. And if this happens again, 
That's it. We're finished. We're over. I think moving him back in was the worst thing Mum ever could have done. What else could I do? He's the father of my children and he's not well. He's not well. I knew that she would let him stay. And so I tell him again. You need help. I think... I think that my dad is a coward. I'll show them that I can be here and I can be their dad and that, you know, I can sort things out. And I, I don't know, it feels like we've crossed a threshold. And so I rung our GP and set up an appointment. He spent a long time asking me questions. That was quite uncomfortable. In the end, he prescribed me antidepressants and he got me an appointment with a counsellor. But that wasn't going to start until January. And he did this. He went along with this and day to day, there was a massive change. And inside, I was overjoyed. He even made a joke, you know. I've gone around the bend, but I've turned a corner. <laughs> it was odd because Mum had said that Dad needed to go to counselling. And I asked why. Is there something wrong with him? I think the thing about Carmela is she started to picture Dad coming home like that was the answer to everything. All I thought was he just needed his family around him. And he'd show me he's taking his tablet. Like a little kid, you know. Good boy. You're being a good boy. After about a week, I threw them away. It was so fake, this, like, doing the good dad thing, which was so not genuine. I figured that if I didn't go and hide in the tool shed, if I talked and smiled and, and people knew that I was going to be in treatment, that they would leave me alone. And they did. It was so not what he'd been like. But everyone was just accepting it because they didn't want to have that person back again. It seemed like Mum and Jean knew stuff that I didn't know. I just didn't believe it. I didn't believe any of it. I really enjoyed going around to Nanny Helen's, but she wasn't giving me answers either. It was all lies again. I asked her questions about Grandad, and she wouldn't really answer my questions. I tried asking her questions about Dad, and she'd change the subject. So I said to Jean, why does Dad need counselling? Do you know something I don't know? Is there something wrong with him? And he shrugged. You know, everybody has stuff, don't they? All families have stuff. And when you're maybe a bit younger or, or you haven't really been through a lot, you haven't known many people who have died or whatever, you feel like, I am the only person this could happen to. And it just isn't true. Am I the only one who can see another side to this? And then we have to deal with Christmas. So I discuss Christmas with him. The last time being when we had a massive bust up in the kitchen. So I just come out and say, right, I'm inviting my dad and I'm inviting your mum. One of the conditions of me staying was that mum would come over. And we're all going to try and have a Christmas together. I, I was really scared of seeing her. I'm fine, he says. OK. But you know, that was a lie. I'm getting better. I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm okay. You don't need to... Look, 
I'm happy, I'm smiling, I'm talking, I'm all right. In order for that to work, then Christmas had to work as well. So that's how I approached it. And I was pulling a trick, I guess. At Christmas, he was Mr Jolly. I genuinely thought I was on the mend. He was just being wonderful at this point. <laughs> he was Santa Claus. Joining in with everyone, calm, happy. The family stopped looking at me as if I was a stranger. We have, in the scheme of things, what our experience has been. We had a good Christmas. It was a great day. He was civil to his mum. This gentleman who... Who shows her in and treats her like the Queen. And they were polite to one another. Trying to make everybody feel special and like, you know, hugging my sister all the time. Everything seemed to be good. Carmella got carried away at one point, wanting to get the photo album out and talk to him about what Christmas was like when he wasn't there, but I couldn't cope with that, so I quickly called her into the kitchen to help me with something. On New Year's night, Sally and I were at home, alone and the kids were out. They told me they both had parties to go to. So they should. But it turned into a wonderful evening. Isn't it funny? How you can just go through so much despair and then out of the blue, you have a wonderful evening together. We had a wonderful meal. We lit the fire. She had a few drinks. Shared a bottle of champagne, which I probably drunk too much of. One thing led to another. We ended up in bed together. We ended up in bed together. My bed. Our bed. And right there, even when we were making love, there was a piece of me that wasn't in that moment that I kept back because I was scared. There's something about that night that I'm glad we slept together because... I miss that physical contact. All those nights I had when he was missing, I didn't know where he was. To have him back in that way was wonderful. And even that night, when she was asleep, I just lay there thinking, get up now, put on some clothes and and go. The old life, that place, is there and it will accept you. All you need to do is leave. It seemed like we were starting to rebuild something together. It started to make me panic a bit inside. And the children definitely. (laughs) They were good, you know. They were as happy as I'd seen them in a long time. He was being lovely to me. He was encouraging me. He was involving himself in everything I was doing. But whenever I asked a question about him, he wouldn't answer. Suddenly he was taking an interest in things that he hadn't really taken an interest in before. We were having chats, you know. He'd never been like that with me before. Ever. My dad. I felt so exhausted by hating him that that when he showed me some attention, I was just really taken in by it. I don't know. I let it happen to me. You know, now I can see the too good to be true, all of that. The best time for me was when they were all out and the house was empty. Going into the new year, I got counselling sessions arranged, so that was brilliant. 
you know, we've been waiting ages for this. I'm going out to work. We're all getting on with stuff. This counsellor's called James. He's about... I don't know. He's in his late 40s. He's got a beard, which I hate. I thought that I was going to go and I would sit there and I would talk and he would listen. I would go. He didn't, actually. He had a lot to say. He asked me why I was there and I told him I wanted to be there and he clearly didn't believe it. And he said for this to work, I couldn't be pleasing other people. I got very upset. And I was telling him how much I love my family. And he just sat there looking at me. He said to me, complying with people's wishes and doing what they want is a way of keeping them at arm's length. And it made me really angry. I thought he was a tosser. I get a call out of the blue. I left. I was furious. Wondering why Aidan hadn't been to his appointment. I didn't intend to go back. It was the beginning of April. I came home and Mum was sitting in the kitchen, tears streaming down her face and a glass of wine. And I have seen that too many times now. And I'm clearing out the rubbish. And I found about six months' worth of tablets in the wheelie bin. She said that Dad had barely been going to counselling. And I found myself begging her not to throw me out. Jean was really, really, really upset. It was suddenly like, like everything had lifted off again. And it was back to the way that things had been. I think he felt the most betrayed because he was the one that wouldn't let Dad back in from the word go. From the moment Dad had disappeared, he was very protective over us and... He finally let Dad back in after Christmas, and Dad let him down. Again. I just completely laid into him. It was like a light flicking on. Things I feel ashamed about saying now. Horrible names. You're a coward. You're poison. Screaming and screaming and screaming at him. He looked really pathetic. It was a relief in a way. Because it's not as bad as what I think of myself. And, and he just took it. He just looked at me. And so I and, ran down and, and I told him to shut up and I said that he's said enough. I'm really surprised that I didn't hit him, you know. But nonetheless, I stormed out of the house. And then Jean just, he just collapsed. He just broke down. And as I was lying there, my, my sister came and, and hugged me. I couldn't believe that he'd let it happen again, you know. And a few days later, he came into my room and he said that he was moving out. I knew it was harsh on them to leave like that, but at the time, I didn't really see any other choice. He, I think, couldn't stand to be under the same roof as me anymore. It's so wrong. It's so sad that it should come to this, that I should be letting my son move out. And Carmela went quiet, and I could see for the first time that she saw what he'd been doing. She's at last seen how he is when he lies. He fooled us all. Sally moved out of the bedroom. I started to spend more and more time in the tool shed, in the bedroom, anywhere where they weren't. I can't do this to my children. I can't. I can't. It's totally unfair on them. And then at the end of April, she said that 
We were moving out. Just had to get out of there. Sally left and took Carmella. It was just horrible. Uh, and they went to stay at Mick's. I'll never forget that day. Her dad. Just packing in a panic, whatever you need. She was waiting in the car for me, and so I said that I'd call him, and I gave him a hug, and he gave me a kiss on the cheek, and I went to the car. And as we were leaving, I just... He was just standing in the window. Instead of me leaving them... My heart just fell. They'd all left me. Just another sad marriage breakup case. I guess the truth was that I was just scared that someone had taken it out of my hands and sort of done to me what I spend my time doing to other people. The next three months were so tough. Part of me hoped that when we'd gone, that he would just leave. It was really scary because when he's left in the house on his own, he could just leave and we won't know. He'd see the wreckage and the damage that he'd caused and just go and leave us all alone. I also felt really annoyed at him because I thought, why couldn't you have just tried harder? I wanted to see the whole thing just come falling down and everything be laid waste. Dad's been great. He's just great. He never questions. He never judges. He's just there. Mum was depressed. Everything I'd worked for, everything I'd done in my life, seemed pointless. Really depressed. And I felt so, so tired and invisible. So when I found out that they... They were gone to Grandpa's. I went around. And when I went in, she was just sitting in the armchair and I gave her a hug. She just felt really small and, and delicate. She just didn't have the energy to carry on anymore. Terrible headaches. Almost like something in my body was saying, stop. So I just kind of kept texting them and, and making sure that they were all right. But... I knew there wasn't really anything I could do and I just need to take a step back from it all. I still went to work, still carried on going to work, still cooking for Camilla and my dad and doing the washing and looking after the house and cleaning. Kept going. Then one day, I, I ended up in the attic. I found this sort of doll's house that I made for Carmela years ago. It's a beautiful thing. I couldn't really believe that I ever made it. Seemed it was someone different that had done this. And then I got really, really scared because I knew that the person that I was now was quite capable of killing himself. I could do it, and then I would just be with my dad. And I did wonder. I wondered, what is he going to do now? And I came straight downstairs, and I picked up the phone, and I called James, the counsellor. 
If we had any chance at all to do anything, he would need to do something now. Because I don't. I can't do it anymore. Finally, one day, I remember it was quite a bright sunny day, and he said to me, because he'd listened to all this stuff about, you know, what happened when I was a kid, and, and he said, you know, you were abandoned and left to face something that no child should be left to face. And it's no wonder you're hurt, and it's no wonder you want to protect yourself. He's talking about when Dad killed himself. But that child in you will never go away. But you can't run away from him. You have to face him. It was something that had happened to me, not something I did. It wasn't my fault that he killed himself. It wasn't my fault that my mother collapsed. There's still something there. There is. There's still something there. And if there is something worth holding on to, that's what keeps me going. I met up with Carmela in a cafe in town and she looked lovely, but she looked thin and tired and wan. And I thought, I've done this. That was the first time that I'd seen him for three months. I knew her birthday was coming up, the 4th of August. And she said that on the 4th, she's going for a meal with Mum and my Mum and Jean and Mick. And did I want to come? I had this stupid dream, this vision in my head, that as soon as Mum saw Dad, she would just kind of fall back in love with him. And I said, look. Which was really silly. I, I really don't think that... I don't think it's a good idea. He said it was because he didn't want to ruin it for Mum. She was pretty disappointed. I thought that you don't know what's going to happen. She's going to see you and it's not going to be ruined. It's going to be perfect. You know, we're all going to be smiling and laughing and... Carmela came and saw me at the pub. So, I went to go see Jean. She seemed kind of like she had something important to say. So I told him about my birthday plans. She just went, I've been thinking about my birthday and of our meal, and she was like, I want Dad to come. But he started ranting about Dad and stuff, and yeah, to begin with, I was quite angry with him. But I could see that he didn't mean the stuff that he was saying. He was just, he was just upset. You know, thinking about it now, I sound like such an asshole because it sounds like all I ever do is shout at people. I guess I felt kind of embarrassed or deflated by the whole thing. Basically, I was feeling sorry for myself, so the fact that Jean was saying this made me, you know, really annoyed. But I'd really upset her. And she left the pub and I just thought, what am I going to do about this? I've got to talk to him. A few days later, I was at home and there was a knock on the door. I, I went to answer it. It was Jean. I'd had a couple of drinks and we went in. He, he clearly was a bit pissed. I thought he was going to punch me. I said, I need to talk to you. And then he was looking at me. It just came pouring out of me. Where have you been? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you done this to us? And, and at first I, I thought he was talking about Peterborough. 
But then I realized, as he kept talking, that I'd left a long time before. And then we had this big heart-to-heart. He was crying and I was crying. And it was emotional. And I was sick and stuff. And then his stomach started cramping and he fell over on the grass and he threw up. And I held him and I said to him, You know, I will never, ever leave you. He said that he was never going to leave me. I promise. Again. And I meant it. And he said, Do you believe me? And I kept saying... No, how can I believe anything you're going to tell me? It's hard to describe. Like, this look in his eyes. Like when I spoke to my dad normally, there was this, like a barrier between us. It was like that had just gone away and I could see that he really meant it. You know, he opened up to me a lot about his dad and his relationship to his dad and how he felt about that. I don't know. I was really upset. I was really shaken up by it. I put him to bed, and he slept that night in the house. The next morning, I was in the kitchen. He came in and put his hand on my shoulder. He never did that. Before, there was this feeling in my chest all of the time, like tight. And when I went around and and saw him, it was like that was lifted off of me. Then he mentioned Carmela's birthday and... He asked me, would I come? And I said, look, I, I really don't think it's a good idea. It'll spoil Sally's day. And he said, no, no, no. You don't understand. You really need to come. It was one of the best things anyone's ever said to me, I think. So I managed to convince him to come to the lunch. And I decided then that I would. If it's time to face up to things, then maybe this is where I had to start. A few days later, I got a phone call from Jean saying that Dad was coming. I couldn't believe that this plan was coming together. That was a lovely day. Getting ready for it, picking out an outfit, a dress for her. She looked stunning. I could not believe that I'd done it, that I'd pulled it off. Until the morning of my birthday. I woke up and I felt sick and I suddenly thought, what have I done? We were all going, getting ready, into the car. I just really didn't want to upset her. I had Camilla and Dad with me and Jean said he was going to go and bring Helen as well. So that was fine. And when we got there and we met Mum outside and everything, Carmela looked really nervous. And we all turn up at this amazing place. Beautiful, sunny, sunny day. We went in and my heart was beating so fast. The smell of fresh cut flowers as soon as you walk in. And it was nice to think that we were just going to escape all of the rubbish that's happened. I stood up and I took one look in Sally's eyes and I realised that they hadn't told her I was going to be there. It was the most horrible surprise for me. I just couldn't believe that I'd put Mum through that. It kind of ruined the whole thing for me, to be really, totally, brutally honest. She seemed so far away, just distant. I did my usual for them. I sat it out, and we were a family. There was a gap there, 
and I was the one that was going to have to try and cross it. Since Sunday's lunch, Carmela's been sending me sort of textual updates on Mum and Dad's progress. The next day, the phone rang in the evening, and Mum picked it up, and she went straight into the hallway. So I knew it was Dad. And he asked me out for a drink. That took some doing. God. Anybody listening to this would be like, no. (laughs) I just wanted to know what they were talking about. I said, yeah. I was really pleased with myself. I still am. So it felt strange. It felt not like a first date, but as if you were strangers, but you're not. You're hoping that something might happen, but when she came back, she said, Now, before you ask, it went okay. I wanted to let him know what we'd all gone through, what it was like from our end with him gone, what it had been like him coming back and then disappearing again and coming back and then lying. And he started to talk. He started to open up. For the first time, he was talking to me as another human being, sat talking at a table talking. He mentioned his mum. He talked about his dad. He told me that the whole reason that he thinks he left was because of his dad's death and the way his dad died. And for the first time, I could say, I know. I know. I knew. I found out. And I'm not saying I was sitting there going, oh... Okay then, that's fine then. I understand. Come back, come on. No, not at all. Not at all. But to listen to him communicate with me for the first time properly, ever, it was... it was good. She just said, Aidan, you know I'm going to need some time. And I looked at her and I said... Yeah, and that wasn't a lie, you know. I can give her time. Looking back, uh, I don't, you know, I think if things could have been different, always things could have been different. But that's the way things were, and that is my family. And that is the shit that we did, and the people we are. And I don't know if, if I now, thinking about it, want anybody different than my family. All I could think about is, whatever I've been through, my family have been through, there are people who have gone through so much worse, so much worse, where their partner doesn't ever come back, or where their child has been taken away from them, or when someone comes back after truly suffering something horrendous. I'm certainly more realistic than I used to be. And I just know that if things go wrong, don't fall apart. Just never give up. I don't necessarily expect them to forgive me, but I hope that they understand that I'm going to try, that I'm trying. I think I need a holiday, (laughs) somewhere warm. I definitely won't be going to Peterborough. This was a Townsville Little Theatre production of Ambiguous Loss, written by Michael Butt and transcribed by Bridget Douglas. Sally was Jacinta Ryan. Helen was Nancy Nicholson. Jean was Zane Walker. 
Carmela was Kalani Gia. Amy was Hilary Bell. Aidan was David Brooke Taylor. If this performance has raised any issues for you, please ask for help. You can reach free confidential services that offer support and are accessible 24-7, such as Lifeline on 13 11 14, Beyond Blue on 1-300-224-636, or the Australian Federal Police Missing Persons Hotline on 1-800-000-634. Voice recording and sound design by Tom Marks. Artwork by Dane Hallam. Ambiguous Loss was directed by Donna Clayton-Smith and was produced during the 2020 coronavirus pandemic.